0: Well, the year was 1809, and the eyes of the world were upon Napoleon and his great army as they swept through Austria, leaving in their wake thousands of soldiers dead on the battlefield and with the uh, the fate of nations hanging in the balance, most considered these moments to be the defining moments that would forever shape the history of the world. However, in that same year, 1809, unbeknownst to the world, there was something far more significant, far more defining, at least as far as history is concerned, taking place uh, than Napoleon's conquest. You see, in that same year, in Great Britain, a baby was born. He was given the name William Gladstone. Now, while that name may not be familiar to most of us, it's a name that even to this day is still revered all throughout all of Europe. William Gladstone grew up to be Prime Minister of Great Britain. In fact, he holds the distinguished honor of being the only Prime Minister to serve on four separate occasions. And during his nearly 80 years of service, he was responsible for impacting major change, not only in England, but all throughout much of Europe. He was instrumental in moving England from a monarchy to democracy. He not only introduced legislation that led to forming an educational system for children in Great Britain, but also he set limits on what wealthy landowners could charge poor farmers for rent. He became affectionately known as the People's William and to this day is still considered to be one of the greatest statesmen that England has ever known. In 1809, there was another child who was born, uh, this time into an Anglican uh, preacher's home. His name was Alfred Lord Tennyson, who as an adult became one of the most influential authors of his day. Also in 1809, across the pond in the United States... A couple of world changers and history makers were born there as well. First of all, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born. He, of course, became one of the most influential authors in America, but he was also a respected physician who, in that role, became an important medical reformer whose influence is still impacted and felt to this day. And then, in a rugged cabin in the hills of Kentucky... The world was awakened by the cries of another newborn baby boy. This baby would one day grow up to lead our nation through arguably one of the most difficult periods of time we've ever experienced. He he became known as a champion for freedom and equal rights for all people. Today, he's considered to be one of the greatest presidents this country has ever known. In fact, he had such an impact on the world that even today, there are numerous streets and monuments and parks, and even our own city bears his name. You know, it's interesting what perspective can do for us, isn't it? Most people in 1809, they were convinced that the destiny of the world was being shaped on a battlefield in Europe by a charismatic, powerful, short, little French guy with a funny hat. However, we know now, with the privilege of 200 years of perspective, that history was actually much more shaped, not on a battlefield, but instead in the cradles of Great Britain and America. This morning, as we gather together on the first Sunday of Advent, I can't help but be reminded that this world that we live in, and for many of us personally, has been forever changed simply because of a baby who was born into the world. This, of course, has already been mentioned this is the first Sunday of Advent, which is one of the most significant times of the year for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Uh, This word Advent is a word that actually means coming. And, And so in the Advent season, which goes from the last Sunday of December, which is today, all the way through Christmas Eve, this is a time where we focus our attention on the coming of Jesus. First of all, uh, we look back to his first coming, when, when, when Jesus first entered the world on that very first Christmas morning, uh, the God of the universe, he condescended himself, he came down, he lowered himself, and he became human and interjected himself into a lost and broken and messed up world. And so we look back to that very first Christmas, but not only that, Advent is all about looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes again, this time he won't come as a helpless little baby, but this time he will come as a conquering king. And what a day that will be, and so we look forward with hope to Jesus' second Advent. And so here we are, we kind of live in the in-between time of his first Advent and his second Advent, but we live with hope. And so this morning, as we're launching into the Advent season, we're starting a new series that we're calling, Brian already mentioned this, but we're calling it, What Child Is This? What was it about this child that impacted so many of us and actually changed the trajectory of the history of the world? And so what we're going to do over these next uh, few weeks is we're just going to be looking through the Gospel of John and, and allowing it to help us focus our attention on some character traits of Jesus that hopefully will help us understand uh, more of who Jesus is, but also what he came to accomplish. And not only that, but, but, but what, how that ought to impact each of our own lives personally. And so this morning as we ask this question, what child is this? I want to focus our attention on the fact that if he is anything, he is the God of forgiveness. Well, I'm glad for that, aren't you? That Jesus is the God of forgiveness. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning or your Bible apps, I want to encourage you to open them to John chapter 8. We're going to begin reading with verse 2. And uh, If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow along on the screen, but let's, let's look and see what John has to say. He writes in John chapter 8, verse 2, early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I want to pause right there. And I want you to just imagine, if you can, the shame of this moment for this woman. Imagine the embarrassment. You know, here this crowd has gathered around this this prominent, exciting teacher. You know, whenever Jesus would come to town, a crowd would gather. Um, You know, it was kind of like a celebrity had come to town. Word about him had spread, and, and you know, wherever Jesus went, things happened, miracles happened. Uh, you know, uh, blind people, their, their sight was restored, and deaf people could hear, and dumb people could talk, and lame people could walk, and he even raised people from the dead. And so, wherever Jesus was, there was a crowd. People wanted to see, you know, what is this, this miracle worker gonna do next? And so this woman, she's brought in, not only in front of this crowd, but she's brought in in front of Jesus in order to have her sin publicly exposed. Can you imagine how humiliating that must have been? John tells us that she's been caught in the act of adultery. And so more than likely, uh, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic, but more than likely she's drug out before this crowd and she probably hasn't even been afforded the kindness of being able to cover, cover herself. If she was, more than likely all she had time to do was maybe grab a, a blanket or a scarf or something to try and, and just cover herself. And the reason that I'm pointing this out is I don't want us to miss how shameful How embarrassing, how humiliating this moment is. I mean, just imagine your worst sin on display for the world to see. This is what's happening for her. By the way, every time I read this story, I can't help but wonder, where's where's the dude? I I mean, you know, last time I checked, it took two people to commit adultery, right? Right. And so I always wonder, where is the guy in this? Why is only the woman pulled before Jesus? Well, well, more than likely, uh, there, there are a couple different reasons why she's the only one brought before Jesus. Either, first of all, while they were grabbing her, um, he just was like, man, she can take the fall on this, and he bolted and took off. Uh, he, he 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 probably just like fed her to the wolves and sacrificed her for his own uh, freedom or, or for his own uh, reputation. Which, which, by the way, um, this right here is a perfect picture of any kind of sexual relationship that takes place outside of a committed marriage. Rather than, than giving and committing all that I am to you, which is what marriage is intended to be, Instead, sex outside of marriage is more about I'm going to get what I want to get before I get while I still have the freedom to get. And so we don't know. Maybe that's what happened here. This guy was only in the relationship for his own selfish satisfaction. And so when things went south, man, he wasn't committed to it, so he bolted. Or maybe, as many uh, scholars believe, that maybe that, that this was a setup. Maybe this was all part of the religious leader's plan, and it was their plan to trap Jesus because they hated Jesus, and they wanted to discredit Jesus, and the woman was simply collateral damage. You see, what they really cared about was not what happened to her. What they cared about and what they wanted to see was, what will Jesus do with this sinful woman? How will he respond to this sinful woman? Because the law of Moses said that she should be stoned. The law of Moses said that because of her sin, she should be put to death. So the issue was, how is Jesus going to deal with this sinful woman? What is he going to do? If he lets her go, which is what they anticipate that he'll do, because that's how he is. They know that Jesus has this reputation that he hangs out with sinners, he, he works with sinners. People actually call him the friend of sinners. And, and so what they're expecting is, is for Jesus to somehow side with her and to just you know, just kind of let her off the hook. And so they have a plan for that. Their plan is they want to expose him as you know, not much of a rabbi. People are looking to him as being this great teacher, and their plan is they want to expose him as not much of a rabbi. You know, how can you call yourself a man of God when you don't really even value the law of Moses? How can you be a man of God when you don't really take sin seriously? You you see, the key issue in this story is simply how does Jesus respond to sinners? Because how a person responds in any given situation reveals much about who they really are, about what their heart is, what what they think, what's most important to them. And remember, for us this morning, we're asking this question, what child is this? Which, Which, by the way, just so we're on the same page, this child is God incarnate. This child is God who came from heaven. He left his home in heaven. And one of the reasons he came is to help us understand who God the Father is. In fact, if you want to know who God the Father is, you don't have to look any further than Jesus because Jesus is a perfect representation of who his Father is. And so this is really important stuff. The question is, how does God deal with sinful people? How does God deal with our sin? And and so this woman, no question she's a sinner. I mean, she's been caught red-handed. How is Jesus going to respond to her? And, and, And remember, however Jesus responds reveals the heart of the Father. Well, Jesus responds by offering her the gift of forgiveness, This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we celebrate the coming of Christ. What child is this? He is the one who entered into a sinful world to forgive sinful people, which, by the way, includes every single one of us. Real quick, there are three things that we can draw from this story that I want you to notice about God's gift of forgiveness. The first thing is this. Jesus reminds us that forgiveness is a gift that all of us need. Everybody needs forgiveness. We're all in the same boat. I want you to look at verse 5. It says this. It says, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. This is the Pharisees. This is the teachers of the law speaking. They, They said, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. John tells us that Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more, John says, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Now, John doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote on the ground. There's been a lot of speculation over the years of what that might have been. Some people think, you know, maybe what Jesus did was he began to list each of the sins of the people who were standing around him. Wouldn't that have been something? You know, I mean, he's God, and so he would have known. And so maybe he was like, you know, John lied to his wife on Tuesday. Elijah uh, cheated his neighbor out of this property deal or, or, or maybe Zachariah you know, committed adultery just like this woman has de- done. We don't know exactly what it is that Jesus wrote but what we do know is what he said. I want you to look at what Jesus said in verse seven. He said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, Jesus is like, all right, you know, if we're into stoning people for their sin, let's, let's go ahead. Uh, those of you who have never sinned, you guys go ahead and get us started on this deal. Now, now there are some that when they read this, uh, they're, they're like, you know, well, what this proves is, it proves that we shouldn't go around judging people. Listen. The point here is not that sin is not to be judged. Sin is what it is. God determines what it is. He said what it is. And so sin is what it is. So the point is not that sin can't be judged. The point is that every single one of us deserves judgment. That's the point. Not just this woman. Jesus was saying you want to judge her. The reality is all of y'all are guilty. The point is, every single one of us, when it comes to sin, we're in the same boat. We're all guilty, and we all deserve judgment. In fact, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and he says this. He says, the wages of sin, in other words, what you've earned for your sin is death. What we deserve, all of us have sinned, and what we deserve for our sin is death. What that means is not just her sin, not just this adulterous woman's sin, but, but my sin, your sin, the, the religious leader's sin, everybody's sin brings death and everybody's sin deserves punishment because sin has to be punished and so the reason why these religious leaders dropped their stones is because that jesus reminded them that they had the exact same need that she had they needed forgiveness And the truth is, every single person has that same need. Everyone needs forgiveness. Number two, not only do we all need the gift of forgiveness, uh, but secondly, forgiveness is a gift that God wants to give. God, God wants to forgive. This is why Jesus came. This is what Christmas is all about. God sent his one and only son as a savior so that he could take the penalty of our sin and that we might know forgiveness. You, you see, it, it certainly isn't an issue of Jesus not taking sin seriously. That's not the issue at all. Uh, it's not an issue of Jesus looking at our sin, you know, and just kind of turning a blind eye to it and, and being like, you know, ah, don't worry about it. No, Jesus takes sin very seriously. Let me tell you how seriously Jesus takes sin. He takes it so seriously that he was willing to die for it. That's how seriously Jesus takes sin. I want you to look at verse 8. John says this, and once more Jesus bent down, and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up, and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? This is so incredible to me. You know, first of all, was she guilty? Absolutely, she was guilty. She was caught in the act, but Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you. Can I just remind you of something this morning? That is the heart of Christianity that the God did not come to condemn sinners. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 17, this is a verse that so often it gets overlooked because it follows one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3, 16. But, but listen to what it says in John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So so when Jesus came, why, why did he come? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. In other words, what Jesus says is, rather than condemning you, I have come to be condemned for you. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus, rather than condemning us, instead, he suffers our condemnation. He does this as a gift for you and for me. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 The Apostle Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but I want you to watch this. He goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, this is a gift that God wants to give to us, and it's a reflection of the deep love that he has for us. Again, that that very famous passage of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. That he did what? He gave his only son. This, friends, is Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. This is why we celebrate it. The, The reality is that apart from God giving us Jesus, we have nothing to celebrate. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, forgiveness is a gift that God wants to give. The last thing I want you to notice about forgiveness, and you don't want to miss this, that not only is forgiveness something that we all need and forgiveness is something that God wants to give, but forgiveness is a gift that is intended to change your life. God's forgiveness is a gift that is given, not just, you know, to to punch some get-out-of-hell-free card. But God's radical forgiveness is intended to miraculously transform a person's life. I want you to look at verse 11. Jesus says to this woman, he says, Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't stop there. Notice what he says next. He says, now go and from now on sin no more. In other words, again, what Jesus is not saying here is like, you know, I know you sinned, I've offered forgiveness, but no biggie, just keep living life the way you've been living and, you know, I've I've got you covered here. No, what Jesus says is this radical forgiveness that I've offered to you, it is the catalyst that is intended to propel you into a new way of living. And so Jesus says... Go and and sin no more. This word repentance that we use around the church oftentimes, the the word repentance, it's a word that means to turn and head a different direction. It it doesn't mean that I, you know, we have the word confession. I confess my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess this is what I've done. But repentance says I'm not going to continue to walk in that. I'm going to turn with the power of God helping me and head in a different direction. Jesus says, now go, and from now on, sin no more. Listen, the power of God's forgiveness is transformative. The the power of God's forgiveness, it's, it's intended to totally transform our lives. The point of God's forgiveness is to offer a new beginning, The old has passed away. The new has come. And so we don't have to be bound to a life of that same old pattern of sin and failure and sin and failure and sin and failure. You you see, the problem is that a lot of people try to live this passage out in reverse. what they do is, instead of allowing God to transform them, what they try to do is they try to clean themselves up so that somehow they can feel or appear worthy to God. I meet people all the time who say, you know, I I know I need to get back in church. But before I do, there's a few things that I need to take care of first. (laughs) And in other words, what they're saying is, you know, I've I've got a few habits that I know are not right. I need to break them. I've, I've got a relationship that I know isn't right, and I, I probably need to get out of that before I put myself back in church. I, or I've got some things in my life, you know, that I, I tend to do that I just need to get rid of. And, and when I get all of that stuff taken care of, then I'll be good enough to walk with God. Then I'll be good enough to go to church. Listen, I want you to understand it doesn't work that way. The, the bad news is, that none of us on our own and our, can, can earn a right standing with God. That the, None of us on our own. We can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't, we can't fix ourselves. We can't get ourselves in a position to where we can rightfully stand before God. That's the bad news. The good news is this. That the power for leaving our old life isn't in us. That we don't have to rely on our own strength and our own power. Instead, it begins with the forgiveness of Christ in our lives. And it's completed by his power at work within us as we walk with him on a daily basis. It's in the power of Jesus Christ. And it's when you live in that power on a daily basis. When you walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what changes you. That's what transforms you. That's what makes you into a different person. I'm glad I got an amen there. We needed an amen there. This is the good news of Christmas. You you see, what I'm trying to say is, is that you don't change and then receive God's gift. You receive God's gift, and that's what begins to change you from the inside out. And, and the change is miraculous. The change is powerful. The change does things in your life that you could never do on your own. It's the power of Christ. But here's the deal. We have to cooperate with the power of Christ work, at work within us. We have to cooperate. So here's what I want to do as we wrap things up this morning. I, I want to I just end with a, a question. And the question is this. Have you personally received God's gift of forgiveness? If not, why not today? There's no better time than today. Why not the first Sunday of Advent as we look forward to Christmas? Because this is what Christmas is all about. If anything, it's about God sending his son Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You see, on that first Christmas morning, the angel said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what Christmas is all about. And so this is an important question. Have you personally received God's gift of forgiveness? Because here's the deal. It can only transform your life if you receive it and then walk in it. That, that's, the way, that's the way gifts work, right? It's the only benefit they are to us. I mean, I, I could have here, and where are they at? Over here, in, in one of these boxes, you know, the greatest gift in the world. Let's just say in that top plaid box right there, there's, there's a gift, there's a million dollars in there, Kelly. That million dollars will do you absolutely no good unless you take hold of it and you begin to implement it in your life man that's the way it is for us this is the way that the gift of salvation works is we have to receive it and then we have to begin to implement it and walk in it and live out of it in our day-to-day lives and so the question this morning is have you done that have you experienced the life changing power of Jesus Christ that moves you from darkness into light, that makes you a brand new person, that sets your life on a brand new trajectory. This is the good news of Christmas, that you can leave this place today. For those of you who are watching online, that before this broadcast ends, you can leave different than you came in. You can leave knowing that you're right with God, and you can leave walking in the newness of life with the power of his hand on your life. But here's the deal. You have to make the decision. And and so here's what I want us to do as we we wrap things up. The the band is going to close with a a song today. And and as they sing, if you've never made that decision, I want to invite you just in the quietness of your own heart, To just have a conversation with God. To say, God, today, I make that decision. I want to receive your gift of forgiveness. I receive it today. I give my life to you, and I pray that you would help me to walk in that relationship with you. Help me to walk in a new direction. uh, The the forgiveness I want to receive, the sin no more. Come on, that's a little bit harder. I need you to help me, Jesus. I want to invite you to do that today it's as simple as making a decision the gift has been offered all you have to do is receive it and maybe there are some here this morning that you've taken that first step and you've you've asked God to be the forgiver of their sins but the whole uh, asking him to empower you to continue to walk in a life where you don't continue to fall into the same pattern of sin that's been a little bit more of a challenge and I tell you today that his forgiveness is just as real for you as it's ever been. Maybe there are some, just in the quietness of your own heart, you need to do some business with God and say, God, I thank you for forgiving me, but I haven't held up my end of the bargain. And so I need to have you forgive me again. And I need to ask you to give me the strength to make the decisions that I need to make in order to, to leave the life of sin and walk in your holiness to live the way you created me to live, to experience all that you have for me. And I know I can't do that on my own. I need your power at work within me. And then maybe there are some who you've been living in that grace. <laughs> And, and you've experienced forgiveness, and you've turned your back on sin, and, and, and you're walking day by day as God is helping you, and I want to encourage you this morning as the band sings this song that maybe it'd be appropriate just to give thanks. To just say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the reminder that you love me so much that you were willing to send your son. You gave up what was most precious to you. And you sent him to come and be the forgiver of my sins. And just give thanks. And so I want to encourage you. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as the band leads us, I want to encourage you that as the Holy Spirit leads you to just respond, just to say yes, just to say yes.